some people are really worried about the surgical aspect of castration. Also, if you're going down the surgical route, it's not reversible. You can't, you know, put the testicles back in, can you? <laughs> you're done. <laughs> so, you know, it, it's a really good way of, you know, try before you buy almost just to see will it affect the animal's behavior in a negative or a positive way? Because if it is a negative way, we can take the implant out. We can see what happens and, and go from there, really. So it gives you a little bit of a, almost a breather to see what would potentially happen. Puppy behaviour has always been important, but with so many more dogs in ownership since the pandemic, more clients will be in need of advice. In this Vet Times Extra podcast, Nicola Lakeman discusses pet behaviour, including nursing consults, best times to discuss it, and neutering and castration issues. Airback are proud to bring you Suprelerin, a sustained release implant containing Deslorelin, a GnRH superagonist, which is licensed for use in healthy, sexually mature dogs that have not been neutered to make them temporarily infertile. The implant is inserted subcutaneously under the loose skin on the back between the lower neck and the lumbar area. Conveniently, implantation is a quick procedure and does not require anaesthesia or hospitalisation. Suprelerin is available in two presentations, a 4.7mg implant which lasts for at least 6 months and a 9.4mg implant which lasts for at least 12 months in dogs. You can learn more about Suprelerin by contacting your local Fairback Territory Manager. So today on this Vet Times Extra podcast, we're going to be discussing canine frustration and behaviour. And joining me today, I'm delighted to welcome Nicola Lakeman. How are you, Nicola? I'm really good, thank you. Great stuff. So thanks for coming along for this podcast. Starting off, COVID, how much of an impact has it had on your workplace in terms of pressure on consults? I think there's been different aspects. There's been the whole restriction on, you know, not being able to open your doors, who could come in the practice. And that's sort of been changing monthly, hasn't it? Of, you know, clients coming in, clients not coming in, only one can come in and, and all the rest. But I think I'm going to say the most impact COVID actually had has been on staffing numbers. You know, people not being able to come in because they're having to look after their kids because they're homeschooling. Or more recently, I'm going to say things like self-isolation protocols and having to isolate for however many days. Then you come back to work and then you've got to isolate again. Just knocks your numbers so much. It's, yeah. So the pressures of COVID have been numerous. (laughs) And it really does put that pressure on consults because you don't have the staff there to do them. You know, you're trying your best. You really are trying your best. And you just, literally nothing you can do. Yeah. Absolutely. And one of the things that's been discussed quite a lot, I think, in the professions is that there's been an increase in new puppies and first-time puppy owners. This is something that you've seen. Yeah, again, it's, it's, it's really difficult from, uh, as a consulting nurse. All of my nurse consults were like removed almost, um, and we couldn't do them for a while. So we were really just, I'm going to say, almost fire engine medicine for a long time, just doing the emergency stuff. Um, yes, we are seeing loads more puppies. We're seeing loads of kittens as well, loads and loads of kittens. But I think I think you hit the nail on the head there. The thing we're seeing the most of is brand new families with pets. So not, oh, I've already got a dog, I'm going to get, get another one. These are families that have no previous experience of owning a pet at all. And it's a big learning curve, isn't it? <laughs> Huge learning curve for them. But I suppose that's also created an opportunity to start from the ground upwards and provide the information. 
And one of those ways, obviously, is nursing consults. And I know you're a big advocate of these, but what do the clinics that you work in traditionally offer by way of nursing consults? Our nurses would see puppies from second vaccinations right the way through. And I think that's very much we would see them depending on when the next vaccination was needed, because it does change depending on when they had the first ones. You know, when was their flea and wormer due and, and so on? And we found with COVID, we were doing a lot more via Zoom. And just, you know, not necessarily telemedicine because we're not prescribing or anything, but just talking to people, just finding out what their previous experiences were and just talking them through what to expect, you know, preventative medicine, behavioral medicine, house training, you know, all those sort of things. So we were doing a lot more via the Internet. So, yeah, it, it really did change how we were consulting as nurses but it really just showed how important those nurse consults were. We were just doing them differently. But obviously, it's a real chance to sort of pass the information on, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. Moving on to the pet behaviour side of things, when's a good time for VNs to discuss pet behaviour in general? All the time. <laughs> so every time, every sort of like point of contact, you're sort of talking to them about, about it. And I'm not a behavioralist. I don't have certificates and stuff in behaviour, but... I'm still talking to clients about the basics, anything that's above and beyond, then yeah, I'm referring it to relevant people, whether it's a certificate holder, a dog trainer, puppy classes, those sort of things. But even me with my non-behavioral hat on, I'm still talking to them every single time. You know, how is he doing at home? Are you having any issues? You know, those, those sort of things. And anecdotally, there's been quite a sort of increase with the number of new puppies. And as we mentioned earlier, the number of families coming to it new and getting a puppy or a kitten. Have you seen an increase in owners seeking behavioural advice? Yeah, I think we I did initially when people were starting to go back to work, whether they were furloughed and going back or whether they were working at home and then going back. So there was quite a, a difference there, whether it was just changes in routines. And I think any change in routine is tough, whether you're a dog or a, or a human. So I think that's when people were really noticing those behavioral changes and just giving them general advice on, you know, leaving the dog on its own, those sort of things. I think that's what they were looking for more than anything. Yeah. So canine castration, is this something that's difficult to bring up? When's a good time to mention this? I mean, I, I talk to owners about neutering when they have that little bundle of fluff in front of them. Sometimes because some of them just don't realise how much it is, especially if they've never owned a puppy before. You know, how much does it cost to get your dog neutered? And some of them will, you know, will go, oh, 50 pounds. <laughs> no, <laughs> no. <laughs> so some of them really don't have a clue. Some of them don't actually understand what neutering is, you know, what's castration. And you really do, with some of them, have to sort of start from the beginnings. Um, I think there's a lot of misconceptions, preconceptions as well about neutering. Like you hear all the time in practice of, I'll get him neutered and it'll calm him down. No. <laughs> dog training will help calm your dog down a little bit. But, you know, it's, it's all of those sort of things you really need to talk to clients about. Right. Okay. And so what are the common reasons why they are seeking it? I mean, obviously, you mentioned that's one of the things they might come and talk about. Yes. A lot of them are very much, you know, um, they think it's the thing you have to have done rather than a choice. A lot of them, I'm going to say... I probably see more people that don't want to use now than sort of five years ago. I'm always having the conversation, oh, we just want them to have a litter or we're thinking of breeding. And I'm going to say that percentage has skyrocketed compared to sort of five years ago, the amount of people that want to actually breed. 
So talking to them about the positives and the negatives, a lot of them actually have no idea. <laughs> so when you start talking to them, it really does sort of put them off. They're like, oh, we thought we'd be nice. <laughs> no, it'll cost a fortune. <laughs> right. um, so, yeah, so lots of people asking about castration, about neutering, but a lot of them are looking for alternatives now. So they're actually asking about the options. Yeah. Um, obviously, the internet is an amazing resource. It also has a lot of misinformation. So some of them coming to you with misconceptions. A lot of them are now asking or they've seen adverts for medical castration. So, you, you know, talking them through all the different options can be really useful for them in a sort of non-biased way, really. What benefits do you see to proactively offering medical neutering options in practice? As a consulting nurse, not a surgical nurse, <laughs> um, I do have a bias towards more, more medical sort of treatments. Um, but some people are really worried about the surgical aspect of things. So that's, you know, a, a big thing that's there. Also, if you're going down the surgical route, it's not reversible. You can't, you know, put the testicles back in, can you? <laughs> you're done. <laughs> So, you know, it, it's a really good way of, you know, try before you buy almost, you know, just to see will it affect the animal's behaviour in a negative or a positive way? Because if it is a negative way, we can take the implant out. We can see what happens and, and go from there, really. So it gives you a little bit of a almost a breather to see what would potentially happen. We have had a case where we had a very overweight Labrador puppy that had angular limb deformities um, and it was just growing too fast. It was really overweight. Well, the owner wanted to have it neutered, but we were just so concerned about it putting on weight that what we did was we actually used the superluron implants just to see if, you know, what effect that would have on, on weight gain and, and everything. So that, that's a really good way of using it as well. In terms of when you were in clinical practice, did you have a specific clinic policy towards neutering or is there sort of more of a group-wide policy? Yeah, I mean, I still work for IVC. Mm. There is a neutering guidelines and it isn't a one thing fits all. Uh, it's, it's, got, it's quite a big table looking at breed sizes and ages and, you know, all of these sort of different things. So it isn't that all dogs should be neutered at six months. It depends on what size they're going to be when they're fully grown. What's the behavior of the animal? Does it have, you know, anxiety, confidence, any behavioral issues already? And then we very much take every case on its individual basis about when we're recommending neutering to occur. And that's when nurse consults really fit in because there's no way that you can assess that without seeing the animal and, and talking through that with the owner. Right. Okay. You did touch on it a bit briefly there. You mentioned about Superlaurin. What can you tell us about your sort of experiences that you had with this particular product? Um, quite a lot. I, I'm, I'm going to say lucky, maybe unlucky, in the fact that we have a couple of vets that actually have advanced practitioner certificates in exotics. So we use it a lot for exotics as well, for various wonderful, weird things that they do. But in dogs, I guess it is not just behavioral aspect. We have that dog with the orthopedic issues that we just wanted to see how much weight it would gain. Um, and we have had a few that didn't want to breed from their dog straight away. They wanted the dog to mature a little bit, but didn't want, you know, obviously want to get it castrated, but wanted that potential that they could breed when it was three or four years old. We see that quite a bit in gun dogs, you know, the field dogs, the field trials dogs that go off and 
win their championships and get a few accolades under their belt before they go off to stud. So we're using it quite a bit for that as well. Right. Okay. So it's got quite a variety of possible uses. Yeah. Okay. And to sum up, really, is there any advice you'd give to VNs wanting to play a greater role in neutering within their practices? Yeah, I mean, there's loads of different aspects. It's not just the surgical nurse with the stethoscope and their little pen and their clipboard. As nurses that live in consult rooms, there's so much to talk to clients about, you know, with neutering. There's so many different options now. And if we're getting informed consent for surgical procedures, we really should have talked about all these different options first. So there's lots and lots of roles there for nurses when it comes to neutering. It isn't just the surgical aspect. So a lot of opportunities and a lot of exciting things to discuss with yeah. the clients as a jumping in point. Yeah, definitely. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for joining us on this Fat Times Extra podcast. It's great to speak with you, Nicola, and hopefully speak to you again soon. Brilliant. Thank you very much. Mm-hmm.